Chapter Six of Margaret Fuller, Marquesa Osoli, by Julia Ward Howe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. William Henry Channing's Portrait of Margaret, Transcendental Days, Brook Farm, Margaret's Visits There. It is now time for us to speak of the portrait of Margaret drawn by the hand of William Henry Channing, and first give us leave to say that mr emerson's very valuable statements concerning her are to be prized rather for their critical and literary appreciation than accepted as showing the insight given by strong personal sympathy while bound to each other by mutual esteem and admiration margaret and mr emerson were opposites in natural tendency if not in character while mr emerson never appeared to be modified by any change of circumstance never melted nor took fire but was always and everywhere himself the soul of margaret was subject to a glowing passion which raised the temperature of the social atmosphere around her was this atmosphere heavy with human dullness margaret so smote the ponderous demon with her fiery wand that he was presently compelled to caper nimbly for her amusement or to flee from her presence was sorrow master of the situation of this tyranny margaret was equally intolerant the mourner must be uplifted through her to new hope and joy frivolity and all unworthiness had reason to fear her for she denounced them to the face with somnambulic unconcern but where high joys were in the ascendant there stood margaret quick with her inner interpretation adding to human rapture itself the deep calming lessening of divine reason a priestess of life glories she magnified her office and in its grandeur sometimes grew grandiloquent but with all this her sense was solid and her meaning clear and worthy mr emerson had also a priesthood but of a different order the calm severe judgment the unpardoning taste the deliberation which not only preceded but also followed his utterances carried him to a remoteness from the common life of common people and allowed no intermingling of this life with his own for him too came a time of fusion which vindicated his interest in the great issues of his time but this was not in margaret's day and to her he seemed the palm-tree in the desert graceful and admirable bearing aloft a waving crest but spreading no sheltering and embracing branches william henry channing whose reminiscences of margaret stand last in order in the memoirs already published was more nearly allied to her in character than either of his coadjutors if mr emerson's bane was a want of fusion the ruling characteristic of mr channing was a heart that melted almost too easily at the touch of human sympathy and whose heat and glow of feeling may sometimes have overswept the calmer power of judgment he had heard of margaret in her school days as a prodigy of talent and attainment during the period of his own studies in cambridge he first made her acquaintance he was struck but not attracted by her saucy sprightliness her intensity of temperament unmeasured satire and commanding air were indeed somewhat repellent to him and almost led him to conjecture that she had chosen for her part in life the role of a yankee corinne her friendships too seemed to him extravagant 
he dreaded the encounter of a personality so imperious and uncompromising in its demands and was content to observe her at a safe and respectful distance soon however through the shining fog of brilliant wit and sentiment the real nobility of her nature made itself seen and felt he found her sagacious in her judgments her conversation showed breadth of culture and depth of thought above all he was made to feel her great sincerity of purpose this it was says he that made her criticism so trenchant her contempt of pretence so quick and stern the loftiness of her ideal explained the severity of her judgments and the heroic mould and impulse of her character had much to do with her stately deportment thus the salient points which at a distance had seemed to him defects were found on a nearer view to be the indications of qualities most rare and admirable james freeman clark an intimate of both parties made them better known to each other by his cordial interpretation of each to each but it was in the year eighteen thirty nine in the days of margaret's residence at jamaica plain that the friendship between these two eminent persons long before rooted grew up and leafed and blossomed mr channing traces the beginning of this nearer relation to a certain day on which he sought margaret amid these new surroundings it was a bright summer day the windows of margaret's parlor commanded a pleasant view of meadows with hills beyond she entered bearing a vase of freshly gathered flowers her own tribute just levied from the garden of these and of their significance was her first speech from these she passed to the engravings which adorned her walls and to much talk of art and artists from this theme an easy transition led the conversation to greece and its mythology a little later margaret began to speak of the friends whose care had surrounded her with these objects of her delighting contemplation the intended marriage of two of the best beloved among these friends was much in her mind at the moment and mr channing compares the gradation of thought by which she arrived at the announcement of this piece of intelligence to the progress and denouement of a drama so eloquent and artistic did it appear to him a ramble in bussey's woods followed this indoor interview in his account of it mr channing has given us not only a record of much that margaret said but also a picture of how she looked on that ever-remembered day reaching a moss-cushioned ledge near the summit she seated herself as leaning on one arm she poured out her stream of thought turning now and then her eyes full upon me to see whether i caught her meaning there was leisure to study her thoroughly her temperament was predominantly what the physiologists would call nervous sanguine and the gray eye rich brown hair and light complexion with the muscular and well-developed frame bespoke delicacy balanced by vigor here was a sensitive yet powerful being fit at once for rapture or sustained effort she certainly had not beauty yet the high arched dome of the head the changeful expressiveness of every feature and her whole air of mingled dignity and impulse gave her a commanding charm mr channing mentions as others do margaret's habit of shutting her eyes and opening them suddenly with a singular dilation of the iris he dwells still more upon the pliancy of her neck the expression of which varied with her mood of mind 
in moments of tender or pensive feeling its curves were like those of a swan under the influence of indignation its movements were more like the swoopings of a bird of prey finally in the animation yet abandon of margaret's attitude and look were rarely blended the fiery force of northern and the soft languor of southern races until this day mr channing had known margaret through her intellect only this conversation of many hours revealed her to him in a new light it unfolded to him her manifold gifts and deep experience her great capacity for joy and the suffering through which she had passed she should have been an acknowledged queen among the magnates of european culture she was hedged about by the narrow intolerance of provincial new england in a more generous soil her genius would have borne fruit of the highest order she felt this felt that she had failed of this highest result and yet was so patient so faithful to duty so considerate of all who had claims upon her perceiving now the ardor of her nature and the strength of her self-sacrifice margaret's new friend could not but bow in reverence before her and from that time the two always met as intimates mr channing's reminiscences preserve for us a valuable aperçu of the transcendental movement in new england and of margaret's relation to it the circle of the transcendentalists was for the moment a new church with the joy and pain of a new evangel in its midst in the very heart of new england puritanism at that day hard dry and thorny had sprung up a new growth like the blossoming of a century plant beautiful and inconvenient boundaries had to be enlarged for it for if society would not give it room it was determined to go outside of society and to assert at all hazards the freedom of inspiration while this movement was in a good degree one of simple protest and reaction it yet drew much of its inspiration from foreign countries and periods of time remote from our own from the standpoint of the present it looked deeply into the past and into the future its leaders studied plato seneca epictetus plutarch among the classic authors and divetta hegel kant and fichte among the prophets of modern thought the weltgeist of the germans was its ideal method it could not boast free discussion abstinence from participation in ordinary social life and religious worship a restless seeking for sympathy and a constant formulation of sentiments which exalted in themselves seemed to lose something of their character by the frequency with which they were presented these are some of the traits which transcendentalism showed to the uninitiated to its greek and germanic elements was presently added an influence borrowed from the systematic genius of france the works of fourier became a gospel of hope to those who looked for a speedy regeneration of society george ripley an eminent scholar and critic determined to embody this hope in a grand experiment and bravely organized the brook farm community upon a plan as nearly in accordance with the principles laid down by fourier as circumstances would allow he was accompanied in this new departure by a little band of fellow-workers of whom one or two were already well known as literary men while others of them have since attained distinction in various walks of life 
while all the transcendentalists were not associationists the family at brook farm was yet considered as an outcome of the new movement and as such was regarded by its promoters with great sympathy and interest margaret's position among the transcendentalists may easily be imagined in such a group of awakened thinkers her place was soon determined at their frequent reunions she was a most welcome and honored guest more than this among those who claimed a fresh outpouring of the spirit margaret was recognized as a bearer of the living word she was not in haste to speak on these occasions but seemed for a time absorbed in listening and in observation when the moment came she showed the result of this attention by briefly restating the points already touched upon passing thence to the unfolding of her own views this she seems always to have done with much force and a grace no less remarkable she spoke slowly at first with the deliberation inseparable from weight of thought as she proceeded images and illustrations suggested themselves to her mind in rapid succession the sweep of her speech became grand says mr channing her eloquence was direct and vigorous her wide range of reading supplied her with ready and copious illustrations the commonplace became original from her way of treating it she had power to analyze power to sum up her use of language had a rhythmic charm she was sometimes grandiloquent sometimes excessive in her denunciation of popular evils and abuses but her sincerity of purpose her grasp of thought and keenness of apprehension were felt throughout the source of these and similar sibylline manifestations is a subtle one such a speaker consciously or unconsciously draws much of her inspiration from the minds of those around her each of these in a measure affects her while she still remains mistress of herself her thought is upheld by the general sympathy which she suddenly lifts to a height undreamed of before she divines what each most purely wishes most deeply hopes and so her words reveal to those present not only their own unuttered thoughts but also the higher significance and completeness which she is able to give these thoughts under the seal of her own conviction these fleeting utterances alas are lost like the leaves swept of old from the sibyl's cave but as souls are after all the most permanent facts that we know of who shall say that one breath of them is wasted young hearts to-day separated from the time we speak of by two or three generations may still keep the generous thrill which margaret awakened in the bosom of a grandmother herself then in the bloom of youth books indeed are laid away and forgotten manuscripts are lost or destroyed the spoken word fleeting though it may be may kindle a flame that ages shall not quench but only brighten while therefore it may grieve us to-day that we cannot know exactly what margaret said nor how she said it we may believe that the inspiration which she felt and communicated to others remains not the less a permanent value in the community having already somewhat the position of a come-outer margaret was naturally supposed to be in entire sympathy with the transcendentalists this supposition was strengthened by her assuming the editorship of the dial 
and christopher cranch in caricaturing it represented her as a minerva driving a team of the new illuminati margaret's journals and letters however show that while she welcomed the new outlook towards a possible perfection she did not accept without reserve the enthusiasms of those about her the good time coming which seemed to them so near appeared to her very distant and difficult of attainment her views at the outset are aptly expressed in the following extract from one of her letters utopia it is impossible to build up at least my hopes for our race on this one planet are more limited than those of most of my friends i accept the limitations of human nature and believe a wise acknowledgment of them one of the best conditions of progress yet every noble scheme every poetic manifestation prophesies to man his eventual destiny and were not man ever more sanguine than facts at the moment justify he would remain torpid or be sunk in sensuality it is on this ground that i sympathize with what is called the transcendental party and that i feel their aim to be the true one the grievance maintained against society by the new school of thought was of a nature to make the respondent say we have piped unto you and ye have not danced we have mourned unto you and ye have not wept the status of new england social and political was founded upon liberal traditions yet these friends placed themselves in opposition to the whole existing order of things the unitarian discipline had delivered them from the yoke of doctrines impossible to an age of critical culture they reproached it with having taken away the mystical ideas which in imaginative minds had made the poetry of the old faith margaret writing of these things in eighteen forty well says since the revolution there has been little in the circumstances of this country to call out the higher sentiments the effect of continued prosperity is the same on nations as on individuals it leaves the nobler faculties undeveloped the superficial diffusion of knowledge unless attended by a deepening of its sources is likely to vulgarize rather than to raise the thought of a nation the tendency of circumstances has been to make our people superficial irreverent and more anxious to get a living than to live mentally and morally so much for the careless crowd in another sentence margaret gives us the clue to much of the divine discontent felt by deeper thinkers she says how much those of us who have been formed by the european mind have to unlearn and lay aside if we would act here the scholars of new england had indeed so devoted themselves to the study of foreign literatures as to be little familiar with the spirit and the needs of their own country the england of the english classics the germany of the german poets and philosophers the italy of the renaissance writers and artists combined to make the continent in which their thoughts were at home the england of the commonality the germany and italy of the peasant and artisan were little known to them and as little the characteristic qualities and defects of their own country people hence their comparison of the old society with the new was in great part founded upon what we may call literary illusions moreover 
the german and english methods of thoughts were only partially applicable to a mode of life whose conditions far transcended those of european life in their freedom and in the objects recognized as common to all those of us who have numbered threescore years can remember the perpetual lamentation of the cultivated american of forty years ago his whole talk was a cataloguing of negatives we have not this we have not that to all of which the true answer would have been you have a wonderful country an exceptional race an unparalleled opportunity you have not yet made your five talents ten this is what you should set about immediately the brook farm experiment probably appeared to margaret in the light of a utopia her regard for the founders of the enterprise induced her nevertheless to visit the place frequently of the first of these visits her journal has preserved a full account the aspect of the new settlement at first appeared to her somewhat desolate you seem to belong to nobody to have a right to speak to nobody but very soon you learn to take care of yourself and then the freedom of the place is delightful the society of mr and mrs ripley was most congenial to her and the nearness of the woods afforded an opportunity for the rambles in which she delighted but her time was not all dedicated to these calm pleasures soon she had won the confidence of several of the inmates of the place who imparted to her their heart histories seeking that aid and counsel which she was so well able to give she mentions the holding of two conversations during this visit in both of which she was the leader the first was on education a subject concerning which her ideas differed from those adopted by the community the manners of some of those present were too free and easy to be agreeable to margaret who was accustomed to deference at the second conversation some days later the circle was smaller and no one showed any sign of weariness or indifference the subject was impulse chosen by margaret because she observed among her new friends a great tendency to advocate spontaneousness at the expense of reflection of her own part in this exercise she says i defended nature as i always do the spirit ascending through not superseding nature but in the scale of sense intellect spirit i advocated to-night the claims of intellect because those present were rather disposed to postpone them after the lapse of a year she found the tone of the society much improved the mere freakishness of unrestraint had yielded to a recognition of the true conditions of liberty and tolerance was combined with sincerity End of chapter six